Good morning. morning. Great to see you. Thank you for making worship a part of your uh, hurricane weekend. Uh, Looks like it's still raining out there, so be careful as you go home today. Make sure that uh, you don't uh, find yourself at standing water and hydroplaning or all those things that can take place uh, in this kind of situation. But thank you for making worship a part of your day. Uh, We had an excellent group at our uh, 8.30 service as well, and so hope you have your Bibles. Uh, Go to the front of your Bible and go seven books to Judges. Judges is the text of what we're going to be doing together today. By the way, uh, did any of you name any of your children Shamgar? Now, that's a name. That's a biblical name. Don't... Shamgar's mom thought she was doing a good thing, you know. We hear a name like that and we kind of giggle a little bit, don't we? Can't really find out what the meaning of his name is. One of the research things that I found, somewhat related to an expression of a cupbearer, the derivative of his name is not Jewish, Hebrewish, or Israeli, but uh, he became a hero, one of the judges. You are familiar with the fact that when the children of God came across the Jordan and took the land that had been promised to them, as they moved toward ultimately setting up Jerusalem as the capital or the center, the tribes began to take up certain territories, 12 tribes or 12 territories, and to be in charge in those territories, they selected judges. Usually it was a person of experience and wisdom. Sometimes they would be lesser known than the others, and Shamgar is one of those lesser-known judges, not because of the decisions that he made in the sense of a public arena, but he did most of his work in private, but he saved Israel. In chapter 3, verse 31 of Judges, Shamgar uh, delivers Israel from the Philistines. Isn't it interesting how you read in the Old Testament that these pesky Philistines were always causing trouble, weren't they? I mean, you know, every time you look up, there's one to fight somebody. You remember uh, David and Goliath, the Israelis were fighting the Philistines, and he goes over to visit his brothers, and the giant Goliath comes out, and he's going to be the champion. And so finally they decide David will go, and uh, he picked him up five smooth stones as he crossed the brook. You know why he chose five? Let, let, let me ask this question. Are any of you deer hunters? When you go deer hunting, do you just take one bullet? You heard that same line in the morning service earlier. That's what you did. Well, I think that if you just take one, you're coming home with nothing. So... Uh, but uh, you, you, you probably know if you've studied about Goliath that he had four sons. Four sons. So David was making sure he could take care of that family. And uh, those four sons are actually named and implied in Scripture as you study the Scripture. But he was the champion of the Philistines and David was victorious over him. The Moabites preceded the Philistines, but the Philistines didn't leave. They stayed there, and Shamgar, who is one of the lesser-known judges, as I said, uh, he was the son of Anath. I don't know anything about Anath except that he was Shamgar's daddy. 
Uh, that's the only thing that's mentioned about him in two places in the book of Judges. And uh, Shamgar struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Do any of you have an ox at the house? None of you have an ox. How about an ox goad? Not even an ox goad. Well, an ox goad was about eight feet long, a little longer than a javelin perhaps, made from a wood, a hardwood that was flexible. On one end, which the taskmaster kept, he had a handle type device that was carved into or made and attached. Now, one of the things you need to remember is this is during the time the Philistines had already discovered the power of metal. And so metallic instruments of war were being made, so they were being also applied to agriculture. So uh, Shamgar had applied a handle to his ox goad. Now, you know what goading means, getting the attention. On the end that was the attention getter was something that was sharp either out of metal or out of glass. So if an ox was a bit stubborn or not paying attention to the commands, the driver, the handler, could pop that ox goad and get their attention real quick. So as a result, if you made it just right, not only was it a goad, it was a weapon of defense and a weapon of offense. And it appears that Shamgar had made it quite a weapon of offense, doesn't it? If he used it to kill these Philistines, you, you would have thought someone would have figured out that was something to go. Now, I don't know how the Philistine army counted its soldiers. But if I was in charge of a, of a battalion or a company of soldiers and 600 of them went missing, I'd try to find out what was going on. doesn't say they did anything in regards to Shamgar. Now, it appears that he was in agribusiness, agriculture, and so uh, since we don't have too much of a distinction here, I bet he had some great, beautiful green crops, don't y'all? What do you do with dead bodies? You bury them. Hello? So, as he would kill them, you know, he'd just bury them under his crops, just under his crops, take care of the need until he had killed 600 of them. And it was a result of the fact that he had the ability to do it, but he also had the tenacity to stay at the task. So, we're introduced to Shamgar here, and as a result of what he did, he also saved Israel. Now, how did this arrangement come about to where he would have the opportunity? of killing 600 Philistines. Now, I don't know, and I, I, I just don't think he killed all 600 at one time. But here's how he did it. Over in the next chapter, chapter 5 and verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, his daddy loved for his name to be in the scriptures, didn't he? In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, and travelers went by roundabout ways. In other words, if you lived in the area, you had some shortcuts. Do any of you have a shortcut to a neighbor's house? You all know what a shortcut is. Okay. 
Well, during these particular days, the Philistines had taken over the highways. They could bid a Jewish person, an Israeli, to carry their burden, to carry their pack, to do whatever they were commanded to do. So what they did is they created a network that let them go from place to place without getting on those main highways. And so here, the Philistines had found out about the shortcuts. And one of those shortcuts crossed Shamgar's far. And one of those pesky, or two of those pesky Philistines come walking across there. That's it. Down they went. It was over. Get the shovel. Get the shovel. And 600 of them, you know, whether it was one by one or two by two, 600 of those guys, he slew. Took care of them. 600 of them, he took care of them. Now, isn't it interesting that there's only two verses that tell us all of this information about Shamgar, but the situation presents itself in such a way that he could take care and invest in his people that which solidified his leadership. You see, God has made an investment in us. That investment comes through our learning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we learn that we are sinners standing in the presence or sitting in the presence of the holiness of God in Jesus Christ, And that genuineness of who Jesus Christ is speaks to our spirit. We've got to do something with our guilt. And Jesus has said, if you confess your sins, I'll be faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So sin is dealt with. It's given a death. And eternal life begins to live within us. And as we make that journey, we... We are either showing a genuineness of our faith or we're living a counterfeit life. Now, it's quite obvious that Shamgar was genuine in the fact because the scripture says he was able to take down 600 Philistines with an ox goat. In other words, we need to learn that if we're going to hear the Lord say one day, well done, good and faithful servant, While we're here and serving him, we must well do. We must well do. Shamgar invested in the situation where he was. So we're either genuine or counterfeit. You know, sometimes if you find yourself in a a time of being able to be alone and you're spending time with the Lord... And sometimes you'll arrive at a point to say, why am I alive at this particular time? Why in history, why in the eternality of of God am I alive at this particular time? What is the purpose? So the book of Judges lets us see a judge and lets us understand some principles that he teaches us. First of all, you've got to learn to use what you have. It's hard to use what you don't have. You know, there's a lot of folks that sit around and and they try to deal with that difficulty thinking, well, if I just really had what they had or if I was over here and just had uh, just a little bit of this over here, I sure could do a a great job. You're not ever going to do a great job anywhere until you do it where you are. You, You have got to 
learned to use what you have. He had an ox goad. He had an ox goad. In other words, God looked and said, what do you have in your hand? Didn't he say that to somebody else? He's Moses, absolutely. He said it to Moses. Moses was out there caring for Jethro's flocks, remember? You all have heard of Moses. He's in the Bible. His father-in-law's name was Jethro. He was a sheep herder. And one day as Moses was herding the sheep, he looked off the distance and he saw a bush burning. But the bush didn't go out. It just kept burning. And so he went to investigate, and God was in the fire. God was in the bush. And he looked at Moses and said, what you got in your hand? And he said, a rod. He said, throw it down. And he threw it down, and it became a snake. And the Lord said, pick it up, but pick it up by the tail. I think Moses said, whoa. Lord, I have not been a snake handler very long. But the business end is not the tail, it's the head. And he reached down and picked it up, and it became a rod again. But it was never, ever called Moses' rod again. Whose rod was it? God's. Every time you see Moses using that rod from then on, it's always referred to as the rod of God. So the, the Lord is saying to him, we're going to use what you got. And we're going to use it in such a way that these things are going to result in the fact that the kingdom of God is going to be impacted. What about uh, uh, Rahab? You remember Rahab and Jericho when the spies went in and she hid them to protect them and then she let them down by a rope and they said, when the walls of Jericho fall, you make sure that this rope is hanging out your window and we'll provide safety for you and your family. In other words, other, Samson, for example, he, he had the jawbone of an ass and killed thousands of the enemies and proclaiming the power of God and the strength of who he was. David, sling, went out to fight Goliath. He went across the brook. He picked up five smooth stones. You know why? Well, he needed to deal with Goliath, but the Goliath had four sons. David said, they may come after me. You know, they, they, and I'm going to be ready to deal with the situation. I'm going to use what I have in my hand for this situation. You remember Jesus in his ministry was out on the mountainside speaking to thousands of people and it came time for lunch. And he said, uh, we need to feed these folks. And they began to say, well, we don't have enough money to buy anything for them. And Andrew, I like Andrew. Andrew came walking up with a little boy and his lunch. About lunchtime, he could smell those two fish and those five loaves that that little boy brought. And they said, but what are these among so many? And Jesus took it and blessed it and they broke it and he gave it to them and they fed at least 5,000, probably more, because it speaks of men only in that situation. What do you have to offer the Lord? He says, I'll take it and with my power, I'll multiply. What about in the New Testament? Jesus is sitting, watching worship and people are bringing their offerings to the Lord and a widow goes by and she drops in what we would say two pennies. And Jesus says she gave more than anyone else because she gave everything 
she had. Have you ever given everything you have? You ever felt the Holy Spirit speaking to you about your giving to the kingdom? God says, I've given you something. You've got to use what you have. Barnabas, one of the leaders in that first New Testament church at Jerusalem, saw that there was a need among the congregation. He had a parcel of land. He went and sold it and brought, bought the, uh, brought the proceeds back to the church, and they were used to take care of the needs and the lives of the family. You remember Dorcas? She had a needle, but yet she's remembered in the Bible. She took what she had and used it, used it. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you're a believer and you're waiting for somebody to give you a special reward or award so you can go out and serve somebody, you might as well just stay there. You see, it's interesting, isn't it? That we have a lot of people who profess to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the two things that they're best out, best at is complaining and comparing. They're complaining because the building's too hot, the building's too cold, the ground's too wet, it's too dry. Well, this person over here, if I sit on the beach, they move around quite often. And then they complain and gripe and carry on in the sense of the word, uh, griping, complaining, and comparing. You know, we need to learn to celebrate our ability with what the Lord has given us. The creativity that the Lord puts within us allows us to be that one special person. There is no one better at being you than you. No one. And so therefore, as you learn who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to do what He's leading you to do, you're like Shamgar. You're going to use what you have. If it's just an ox goat, use it. And when it's over... Think about that. This is an Old Testament minor judge. And thousands of years later, in Lindell, Georgia, we're talking about a guy who knew how to use an ox goat. That's all he had. But he used it. We talked about Dorcas and her ability with a needle. You see, when we learn to understand and learn to use what the Lord has given us, he begins to get glory. And you know what? We get all excited. Isn't it fun to be around people who are using what they've been gifted with and the Lord's just blessing them like crazy? It's exciting, you see? Now, the second principle about living the Christian life, not only did he use what he had, he started where he was. It's hard to start where you ain't. You know, if, if, you, if, if I'm going to go visit... Uh, my son in Atlanta, I don't go down there first and then come back and go visit. I make one trip down, one trip back. I can't start the visit there. I have to start where I am. You, you see, when, when you here, here in, this, uh, in the environment in which Shamgar was living at this particular time, there was an agribusiness type operation. Uh, he would use the oxen to plow with. He would use the oxen to pull with. But in the midst of all of this, as a minor prophet, he on the side was doing what he was gifted to do in that particular location with what he had. He had an ox goad. It was where he lived, and he took the advantage of the situation 
when the Philistines would come down the highways, they were given the ability to command or demand that the Israelis carry their loads. In other words, backpack or a bag of something or whatever it was, they could command it. So what did the Israelis do? Well, they figured out a system or a network to where they could go visit each other other, and never get on the highway. Well, pretty soon, the Philistines figured that out too, so they would take those shortcuts. And when uh, word came to Shamgar, uh-oh, they're on the path headed this way. You know, he didn't go out to stop them. He just reached and got his ox going and said, come on down. And as they came on down, he was waiting for them, and he dealt with the situation where he was. You ever talk to somebody? Well, I just, you know, I believe if I was over there, I could do a better job at what I'm doing. You're not going to do a better job there until you do a better job here. You're not going to do any job there until you've done your job here. You're not going to have an appreciation for what the Lord has blessed you with there until you have an appreciation of what the Lord's blessed you with here. It's hard to start where you're not. Isn't it interesting how 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work while 80% of the people in the church barely does 20%. Got kind of quiet in here today, hadn't it? But that's where we live. That's where we, but that's not what the scripture teaches us. We use what we have, we start where we are, and we do what we can do. We do what we can do. It says... He also saved Israel. He was doing what he could do, and a splash over effect of it was the nation was saved. It, it, you know, we're all uniquely created by God with certain gifts that as he blesses, he uses in a marvelous way. Fourth grade school teacher. It was a long, late October, early November, and she announced to her class that on this particular December day, which would be the last day before Christmas vacation, they would have a Christmas party. And the children got all excited about it, and that day came. And when that day came, all the children were there. But there was one little boy that, that uh, Miss Thompson had just had a tough time really liking. He wasn't a bad boy. He never misbehaved, but his hair was never combed, and he always smelled like he probably needed a bath, and his clothes were musty, and, but he was a sharp, sharp student. And so the day came, and the kids brought Miss Thompson some gifts, and so they piled them all on her desk, and when it came time for the Christmas party, she began to open the gifts. Down underneath, on the bottom of all the gifts, was a brown paper bag rolled down from the top. Closed with a piece of scotch tape, and on the bag it said, Merry Christmas, Miss Thompson, from Teddy Stollard. Last gift, she opened it. Opened the bag and turned it upside down, and when she did, out fell a rhinestone bracelet with about half of the stones missing and a half bottle of perfume. All the other kids 
kind of begin to snicker and giggle a little bit. And she had enough sense to where she grabbed the perfume and sprayed it on her hand and passed it around to the students. And she finished up the day. As she was closing up for the day, she heard someone behind her, and it was Teddy. He said, Miss Thompson, I hope you like my mom's bracelet and her perfume. You see, she died last year. And I wanted you to have something for Christmas, and this was the only thing that I could have. So, Merry Christmas. See you next year. Teddy left the room. Well, when the kids came back after Christmas, they had a new teacher. Well, it wasn't a different person. It was Miss Thompson. Because when Teddy left that day, she got down on her knees before the Lord and confessed that she had not really been the teacher. She had really not taken what she had and what she'd been given and was using it where she was in a way to help children like Teddy Stalin. She had a unique ability to help children when they got behind to catch up. Well, Teddy was behind. His mom was gone. Dad seemed to have no interest. And so she began to work with Teddy. She began to work with Teddy. He completed the fourth grade on schedule. She got a note from him. Made the fifth grade fine. Thanks for what you did to help me. Made the sixth grade fine. Thanks for what you did to help me. Seventh grade. Eighth grade. Middle school was not that easy, but I got through it okay. Four years later, she got a note from Teddy. Graduating from high school, and they just informed me today, I'm number one in the class. A few months later, a letter came. Dear Miss Stollard, wanted you to know, the university has offered me a full scholarship. I'm headed to college. Four years later, she got another letter. I've completed the university and just wanted you to know I've been accepted to medical college. Four years later, she got a letter. Dear Ms. Thompson, today they call me Dr. Theodore Stollard. Teddy was gone. Just wanted you to know I've completed medical school and next month I'm getting married. Mom died, you know. Would you come and sit where my mother would sit because you're the only family that I have left? She took what she had, used it where she was, and God took what she could do and invested it in the life of that boy. You know, there's somebody waiting for you. There's somebody that needs to know Jesus Christ. There's somebody who knows Jesus Christ that needs to be encouraged. There's someone that's been called to the Lord Jesus Christ in a particular manner, but there's a a little bit of fear about the whole situation. You see, when you invest in people, you're investing in an eternal commodity that will never die. And it's either going to live eternally with the Lord or eternally in punishment would be terrible if we missed the opportunity to take what we have, where we are, and use it for the Lord. Young man was 
draft age in World War II, lived down in Jacksonville, and he watched the ships take loads of men for combat out of the harbor, realized that he needed to go, so he volunteered for the Navy, took his basic training. As he was waiting to be shipped out, he loved to read, so he went to the public library, and he was looking through some books, and he picked up one and began to read through it. So said, this looks interesting. And as he turned through the pages, he noticed someone had written in the margin at different places statements as it related to the material that he was reading. So he began to read more, and he began to read more. And so he decided that I'd, I'd like to meet this person. He figured that it was a lady because he could read the writing. And uh, so he went to the librarian and said, could you tell me who was the last person that checked this book out? She said, I'm not supposed to. And he said, well, I'm just interested because of the notes that have been made and showed them. She said, well, I'll do it. So she gave him a lady's name. Well, he shipped out that week, but he still had that name and address. So he wrote the lady, told her how he had discovered what was going on. She wrote him back. So he wrote her back. So all during his service time, this acquaintance began to grow. And so finally, he said, I'm mustering out, and I'm going to muster out in New York. I'll be in the Central Station in New York City on this particular date at this particular time. I'm going to wear my dress whites, and I'll have a gift for you, and it'll be tied with purple ribbon." She wrote him back and said, you'll recognize thee, be, me because I'll be wearing a red rose. So he was there, as excited as he could be, because he wanted to meet this person. So he sat there very quietly waiting, and watching the people get off the trains as they came in. And he glanced back one time, and there was a, the most gorgeous woman he'd ever seen in his life. She came walking through the swinging doors, Flowing blonde hair, complexion just right, mint green suit. And he said, I was almost drooling. And she came walking toward him. And he was just waiting, waiting. And he glanced up and noticed she's not wearing a rose. She looked over at him and said, going my way? And he said, I almost got up. Then I remembered a rose. And he said, then just over her shoulder, about three or four people back, I saw her. She was in her mid-60s. A little overweight, but she was wearing that rose. And he said, I took a deep breath, and I said, this is what I committed to. So he stepped over, and he said, Miss Maynell, and she said, young man, I don't know what's going on, but that blonde young lady that walked past you asked me to wear this rose. And she said, if you invited me to dinner, she would be waiting for us across the street. You see, she was wise enough to realize that something might start where they were because they were bringing what they had and it created a conversation and a relationship. Jesus Christ said, I'm bringing your life everlasting and I brought it all the way from heaven 
And we're going to start right where you are. In the need of a Savior, that's who I am. And when I save you, I'm going to come to live within you. And I'm going to lead you because all that I do, I'm going to equip you to do. Are we allowed that to happen? Well, we need to see where we are, take what we've been given, start where we are. So I want to challenge you as a believer in Jesus Christ today. Are you committed to that depth of being in the Lord Jesus to where you know whatever the challenge, I'm in it because God has gifted me for it. This particular, ta- uh, this particular place at this particular time, you may be here and you're meeting Jesus Christ and He is offering you the gift of eternity. The gift of eternity. Don't turn Him away. Holy Spirit speaking to you said you ought to be a part of this church. You need to put your life, you need to put your resources, you need to put your gifts, your talents to use in the kingdom of Jesus Christ with these people. Shamgar did it. And look what happened. See what can happen as the honesty of who you are presents itself in the presence of Jesus Christ.